be happening next weekend. Um, these mad ideas that are dreamed up in winter, and suddenly here we are in June, and uh, next weekend we get to uh, share the gospel with all kinds of people. Might do something with this little lot at the end. We've got thousands of flyers and Bibles, and um, we're, we're going to do some praying and commissioning before we finish this morning, because next weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're going to have the privilege um, of leading people to Jesus, sharing the good news about Jesus with people, seeing his power at work. Um, who can stop the Lord Almighty we've been singing this morning? I think the answer to that rhetorical question is no one can, nothing can. And we're going to see some evidence of that as we step forward with faith and obedience next weekend. Um, just so that you know, tonight, uh, in, uh, in here tonight, uh, Ken is going to be finishing the last training track, and so I really want to encourage you, um, when you've enjoyed an afternoon picnicking or in your gardens, to, uh, to take your sunglasses off and come back inside here and really enjoy opening up the Word with Ken's amazing teaching gift. Please come uh, and, and grow uh, tonight. Thursday morning, we'll be praying uh, before our Love Crawley weekend, Friday, Saturday. I think we've got over 90 people signed up now for the Friday and the Saturday uh, for the teams that are going to be going out into Crawley. Th that's amazing. Um, we were praying uh, in our weeks of prayer uh, at the start of the year and in May for a rather ambitious 50 to 60. Um, so uh, to have 90 people that are saying, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to give up a day's work, give up a Saturday. I, I feel kind of nervous and inadequate. Can anything good come out of me and my history? I don't know. That was a great word this morning, by the way. Thank you. Uh, but, but I'm going to go and learn and grow and be obedient and see what God might do through someone like me. That's amazing. So I just want to um, congratulate you and thank you. Uh, so many of you that are, are taking time to grow and learn with us uh, together. And of course, it's not too late. We, we, we may not be in time now to order your T-shirt if you sign up now, but you can still sign up if you want to come with us on the Friday or Saturday. Just look online for that. Okay, uh, and by the way, next time we're back in this room in two weeks' time, we're going to have Dave Holden with us, which is amazing. Uh, 2nd of July, Dave leads the New Ground uh, sphere of churches, our part of the New Frontiers family. Uh, really excited to have Dave and Liz with us that Sunday. Um, it kind of got a little bit lost in the, in the, with the love crawly excitement, uh, but it'll be amazing to have Dave uh, and Liz with us on the 2nd of July. Um, anyway, to this morning's uh, text, Joe and I are going to do some stuff uh, together. Um, you may not have realized, actually, that last Sunday night we finished our Unstoppable God uh, series a crowd of 50 or so people for our Sunday evening meeting. Uh, ben Drew, Thomas Riley preached together excellently um, for 10 minutes or so from John chapter 18 um, and finished the series. We started back in February, 25 or so, depending on how you count them, healing miracles in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the eyewitness accounts of the life and times of Jesus. Um, in fact, more than 25, if it's, it's hard to know how to count them. I think when we started in February, the first week, I looked at the passages where Jesus healed many or everyone who was there or all who were present in the crowds. There's no way of knowing really how many people Jesus did heal and of course is still healing today. Even when we consider the little footnote at the end of John's Gospel, John 21, 25, as a, as a little passing comment, John, who was with Jesus through all these times, said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were to be written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I, I think we can safely say and assume that there were many, many more miracles than the ones that are recorded specifically for us. 
This is the unstoppable God, and he hasn't stopped. It's great to hear another story this morning. God's still got some work to do. We're praying, God, please complete what you've started in Anne's back and in others that he's touching too. But he continues to work the same way through his people. And so for us, it's the kind of, it's the end of the beginning. It's not the end of a series. It's the beginning of us catching something. Um, I thought it was fitting last Sunday night when Ben and Thomas taught that they taught from the last miracle, which was the healing of Malchus's ear. Malchus was an enemy of Jesus. He came with a crowd of men to arrest Jesus in the garden the night before he died. And Jesus expressed uh, his love and poured out his healing, compassion and mercy, not just for a man who was one of his followers or someone who wanted to be a follower, but someone who was against him so much that he'd come to arrest him and have him killed. I think Thomas made a comment uh, one of our teenage preachers, uh, that God's mercy stretches wide, not just to those that he loves, but to his enemies as well. It's a fitting way to finish this Unstoppable God series. He heals Malchus. The next day he goes to the cross for all those of us who've been against him. Romans teaches us that, that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. The God that heals Malchus then stretches out his body on a cross for those who have their faces turned against him. That God that was then raised to life uh, by the power of his heavenly Father. He ascended into heaven. Uh, he gave the Holy Spirit on the church by the time we get to Acts chapter 2. And then we find this church emerging that begins curiously to look and sound like Jesus Christ, living in the world with the same measure of faith and courage and obedience. And that's what life is supposed to be like for those of us that, that dare to call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, people like you and me, this series hasn't been about trying to make us a little bit more confident in praying for healing. It hasn't been about trying to make us a little bit more evangelistic. It's about basic discipleship, and that's the flow that disciples grow in. Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 6, we find uh, Jesus with his uh, inner group of 12 disciples. And uh, when uh, Jesus has first invited them to follow him so that they might be with him, there comes a point where having watched him operate, he then sends out the 12. And we find that in Luke chapter 9. You flick over to Luke chapter 10, he's not just sending 12 out, but this time he sends out 72 who've been around him. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, it's like the animals into the ark, ahead of him to every town and every place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send that workers into the harvest field. Go! And then that, again, that encouraging little footnote, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's exciting, isn't it? So the pattern comes, we're invited to be with Jesus we get to go, the 12 get to go, the 72 get to go. Who do we go to? Luke 14, Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house, uh, one of the kind of ruling class. And uh, Luke 14, 14, Jesus says to his Pharisee friends around the table, again, they probably were just kind of choking on their food as he spoke to them in this way. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. Here, listen to this, disciples. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the flow for the disciple is to be with Jesus, is to be sent out carrying the kingdom message, knowing that the harvest is ripe, going out as a worker in the harvest. 
It's about going to the people that really need the message of the gospel, the lame, the poor, the blind, the crippled. As Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, Matthew 28, those famous words where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching, that was a baptism by the way, if you weren't sure, Um, I wasn't just having a little twitch, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. It's the flow for disciples as we grow with Jesus, to be with him, to learn to be sent out under his authority, carrying his kingdom, going to the broken, the poor, the lame, the sick, going to all nations, making disciples ourselves, being disciples who make disciples. How do we do this? Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, they're literally about to watch him go up into heaven. I'm waking the babies, I'm so excited this morning. And uh, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. I was praying on Monday and I found myself by some huge electricity pylons. I was remembering the old, uh, the old King James translation of this of those verses, uh, it says, power from on high. And I think in Acts 2 as well, when the Holy Spirit first comes upon them, it describes it as power from on high. And I was looking at these giant pylons and saying, Lord, we, 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 we love this, this flow of discipleship to be with you, to carry your message, to go out to the poor, the sick, the broken, the dying. But unless you empower us, unless you pour onto us and out through us power from on high, we, we, we go empty and with nothing to offer the world. Disciples, we are to obediently follow Jesus in this pattern. Uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I think perhaps we need to be awakened to it again. He intended it to be this way for us. I don't think you can have a clear reading of the Gospels and, and avoid this outcome. I think it's impossible for us to think otherwise, unless, as so many of us in our churches do, we bury our heads or we busy ourselves on lesser priorities or urgently find other things to do in church life. Anything that takes us away from our primary uh, objective of being disciples that make disciples. Sadly, so many of us in our church lives and in our churches in the UK have found many other things to do other than to take hold of the clearest part of the disciples' call. Uh, You'll hear me many times quote William Booth, one of my heroes as a boy that whose family were all Salvation Army, William Booth, when people said to him, I don't really feel called to be evangelistic, William Booth would say, not called, did you say? Just, by the way, you might want to just grip a chair as I go through this next bit. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear to your Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, the agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come here to hell. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and mind in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Ooh. Um, he's not known for his soft pastoral side, William Booth. 
perhaps to put it in language that, that we're more familiar with that we'd use today, you may remember at the start of this series we talked about John Wimber, the American pastor, when he first followed Jesus and spent his first few weeks just avidly reading the Gospels and reading these stories of the healing miracles of Jesus, then went reading the same Gospels William Booth was reading and applying a hundred years before him, went to his pastor in his church knowing nothing else and uh, said, when, when do we get to do the, the stuff? And the pastor said, what, what stuff? And you know, the, 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 the healing, the demons cast out, the raising of the dead. The pastor said, well, we, we kind of sing now and we pray prayers and, and we, do, we do lunches and, and small groups and yeah, it's all good stuff. Um, and, and John Wimber said, yeah, but what about doing the stuff? Well, we don't really do that now, the pastor said. And of course, John Wimber famously said, I gave up drugs for this. Uh, and uh, church, we, as William Booth would say, we get to do the stuff Jesus expects believers to live this way and to behave this way. The other things are all good, but our most urgent priority, as Paul said to Timothy, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and disciples. It's our duty, as William Booth would say, to get filled with the Spirit and go and make some ourselves. Joe, come and help us for a few minutes before I finish up and we'll pray. Great. Welcome, Mr. Joseph Stevens. <laughs> So, are we ready? Some of us might be. <laughs> Some of us, as Steve said, maybe a little, little more hesitant. Are we ready to share the gospel? Are we ready to, to see the sick healed? To see people set free from sin, from addiction? To see people welcome Jesus as their saviour? We're launching today, we're starting this today. This is an important message so why are we making such a big deal of it? It's our primary call as followers of Jesus to, to spread the gospel. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. So we get to do this stuff. Surely something that God has called us to do, that Jesus has modelled and then commissioned us, his followers to do, should feel natural, easy and simple. With our Love Crawley weekend starting this coming Friday, I hope we're all realising it's not actually about Love Crawley. It's about Jesus. Yeah. It's not about a one-off event where we get to go into the town centre, sing worship songs, uh, do some teaching. It's about Jesus. It's about the, uh, what we're starting today uh, that will go on, that will start in our hearts as we step out in courageous obedience to, to the call we've got. Yeah. So why does it feel like such a big jump? Why does it feel like it's a step outside of, of our comfort zone? I'm with you. <laughs> some of you are probably ahead of me. Um, but what I want to spend some time looking at uh, now is, is the lies that the enemy has deceived us with. And I want to replace them with some gospel truths. I want to address some of our fears um, and, and ask, ask God to come and renew our minds uh, that the Prince of Peace would break through, giving us confidence, giving us courage, giving us a fearless spirit, yes. uh, that we would go and share the, the gospel. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we just invite your presence, Lord, as we unpack, as we identify some fears, as we recognize some of the lies uh, that we've been deceived by. Holy Spirit, come and change our hearts. Come and renew our minds. Let your truth root itself. In the very depths of our heart, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the first lie I want to touch on is, is God can't use me. <laughs> um, now Steve's, Steve's obviously opened up and said, this is our call. 
straight, straight from the mouth of Moses in, in Exodus 6. He says, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? If we take the example of Moses, a man who had no faith in himself, he was all too aware of his own weakness, but someone God had chosen and called to do amazing things through. Maybe there's a fear, an awareness of, of your own faults and failings, all the reasons why you shouldn't. Maybe you just mess it up, you'd say the wrong thing. Hey, there's other people that would do it a lot better than I would. If there's grace enough for, for Jesus to turn a hopeless case like me into a hope-filled follower of him, then there's grace enough to turn even the most muddled conversations that we have into clarity for the unbeliever. Paul's really helpful on this in uh, his letter to the uh, Colossians. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, which will preserve it, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the only way our conversations can be full of grace is if we ourselves are also full of grace. (laughs) We must be careful that we've not branded ourselves people of grace or a part of a grace movement and then forgotten what grace is ourselves. The grace of God means that he chooses to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. It's a theme that runs throughout the Bible and is made complete in Jesus an eternal blessing for us because of a one-time, unique and deeply costly sacrifice that allows us to inherit the full blessing and favour of God for eternity. Again, his grace is for all of us and all of them, not just for those that are inside the church. It's It's a message that must go out. But we do need to understand and live out under the grace of God. The second thing Paul mentions um, is that we need to speak with wisdom. Now, a knowledge of the Bible, a knowledge of his word is great, uh, but what wisdom requires is knowledge with understanding. So it requires us to understand, it requires us to embed it within our lives, to really know it. If you've ever chatted with somebody who, who doesn't really believe what they're saying, you'll know it's not even worth the time of day. <laughs> Luke 6, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We're to fill our hearts with the word of God that what we speak would likewise bring life and hope. We're to be so influenced by the Bible that it just begins to flow out of us. Now, I'm a really impressionable person. If I spend a lot of time with, with somebody or if I watch too much of a TV show or a film, I'll start to imitate a person or the likable character in a TV show. You may have noticed that trait in me. The way they talk, maybe the way they dress, some of their mannerisms, what happens is that actually I start doing it subconsciously. What I love noticing is when each of you uh, do this with with what you've read in the Word, what you've understood from the Word of God, that we start being imitators of Jesus, living and loving in the way he did. It comes from spending time with him. It comes with spending time in his Word. Okay, so he can and does want to use us. But we're weak and don't have it all together. There's a fear of inadequacy. In Paul's vision recorded in 2 Corinthians, Jesus spoke to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. We've been singing about the power. Steve spoke on, on the power that is, that is in us. No matter what you perceive your weaknesses to be, no matter what reasons you have given that you shouldn't do this, you don't need to share the gospel. You don't need to pray for that person. Jesus uses weakness and releases power, perfect power. And we are full of this power yeah. in our weakness. Yeah. You have the Spirit of God living in you. He can do the miraculous. We've heard even this morning. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. There's a fear of not knowing what to say or of saying the wrong things. Some simple don'ts for evangelism. Whatever you do, do not stumble over your words. Don't say the wrong thing. And whatever you do, don't let anybody know that you're human. We, we have such a high bar that we've set for ourselves. We're far too critical, over-analytical. It's time we view ourselves correctly. It's time we remind ourselves of our identity and see ourselves as our Father sees us, yeah. sons and daughters. Yeah. He's the one who can turn ashes into a crown of beauty. Yeah. He can turn mourning into joy. You, and he turns all our weaknesses into perfect power. Isaiah 61, I love this. I was, I was really drawn to this as I was preparing for this morning. I'd love us all to uh, just receive this as, a, as I read it. Maybe read it with me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. The spirit of Jesus is on us. We've been called to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now in these prophetic pictures, there's both the physical and there's the spiritual. We don't not proclaim the good news to people that, that aren't begging or aren't in need of something that, that we can see with our eyes. There's a spiritual element, there's a spiritual poverty that we're going to be going out and meeting. And so we need to declare the, the good news of Jesus to all. Another lie. They don't want to hear what I've got to say. I think we can often forget that the gospel is good news. Yeah. Or to put it more simply that the good news is good news, because that's what gospel means. We carry the understanding and reality of a glorious salvation. We carry the understanding and reality of a relationship with the king of all kings. We have access to a heavenly father, who, by the way, just so happens to have created the whole world and everything in it. We have an inheritance waiting for us in a place where all brokenness and sin, shame and sickness, they don't exist Oh, and did I say you'll be there forever? We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living in us. He is with us always. He is our comforter, our friend, our guide through all of life. 
But yeah, maybe it's not that good news. Maybe there's a fear of rejection, of being ridiculed, of being laughed at. I'm sure it's not an uncommon fear. I've felt it. <laughs> I'm so surprised when we've, we've gone out, when we've spoken to people, even when I've spoken to my own friends, of the openness of them. And even with the blunt pleasantries of, no, thank you. When asking, can I pray for you? It often turns my stomach as I turn to walk away, hoping that I'll disappear into the bush or the ground will swallow me up. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That is Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Paul in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So how do we overcome these lies? How do we overcome fear? 1 Peter 3 says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do so with the gentleness and respect. There's a right fear of God, not of man, that helps us overcome fear uh, and the fears that we've identified already. It's not about fearing God's judgment. Jesus has dealt with that. But rather about having a higher value on our identity as sons and daughters than on any worldly relationship or reputation. It comes back to us understanding our identity and living accordingly, revering Christ as Lord. Philippians 4 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now the last thing I want to open up may be a harder one for us to identify with. And I only say it because I've identified it in myself, I've seen it um, as I've, I've tried to, to go out and do some of this. Um, over the past weeks and months. And the question I want to ask is, have we, have we lost our compassion for the lost? Now, I think a resounding no should, should be appropriate. And I think we've got a wonderful heart for the lost, but I think maybe we've restricted it to the type of loss that we like in our church, maybe, our, maybe just to our non-Christian friends, maybe to our family. We ourselves may have forgotten life before Jesus and have become quite comfortable with life with church, with our same seat on a Sunday morning? Would we really want to give that up and let others in who might mess things up a bit? They might talk funny. They might walk funny. They might even smell funny. They might not like me or my preferences. They might come into my personal space or even dip their biscuit in my cup of tea. 
<laughs> oh, that was a bit late. <laughs> Still worth it. <laughs> so the question is, is our gospel big enough? Hey, we might have people that smoke weed. They might have a child outside of wedlock. They might watch porn on the internet. They might swear. They might have a gay partner. They might even have a criminal record. But is our gospel big enough? Yeah. Yeah, please, Lord. These are exactly the people Jesus spent his time with. He came to call the messed up to him. Yeah. The addict, the thief, the liar, the adulterer, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the sick, the oppressed. Yeah. Jesus is calling each of them, to a better way of living and to share in this eternal inheritance. Our job is to show them him and to tell them more about him. So what are we going to do? These people are going to come because we're going to tell them that there is a God who loves them, a God who has the very best for them, a God who himself will come down from heaven, take on human form and would choose to die for each of them. He's got his arms open to welcome them in, drug addiction or not, porn addiction or not, gay partner or not, shoplifter or not. The gospel is big enough. God's heart is big enough. It's time we surrendered our preferences and aligned them with his heart for the lost. We need to let the truth of the gospel transform us first to then see the power worked out and transforming those around us. We look to Jesus who models it perfectly in humility and submission to the Father's will because Jesus knew that only through humbling himself and taking up the cross would he be able to conquer a victory for all. He had the bigger picture in mind and so should we. We must never treat people like projects, fit them into a nice neat box, spend no more than two minutes per person, convert them and move on. People are to be loved We are to show them the love that Christ has shown us. It's by this that they will know who we are and by this that we reveal and display something beautiful about our saviour. It's a conversation, not a monologue. (laughs) So it's a gospel for everyone. As we go, we mustn't write people off. We mustn't prejudge people. Oh, she looks like she's got it all together. I won't bother talking to her. Oh, he's wearing a turban. He won't want to talk. These people need Jesus. There's only one way that each and every person will get to know the Father that we know and to inherit eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's a real sense that this is the beginning, the launch pad to stepping out full of kingdom courage with the 2020 vision he's given us to love Crawley, to see 140 people baptised in the year 2020, for Steve to pray for over 1,500 people. To plant another church. Hey, we, we could well pray for over 1,500 people this next weekend. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus. Are you open for Lord it? Jesus. Why not? This is a one-off event, but it's not. Gone are the days of passive, silent, unengaged Christians. There's no going back. That's not the church Jesus is building. It's a vibrant church for every nation, every culture, every age, every background. No one is excluded. We have a gospel for all. Great job. So let me just uh, finish up 
and emphasize those important points. Then we're, we're going to pray together, and uh, before we rush for tea and coffee, just a, a moment of commissioning for um, next weekend. What Joe's saying there about who the gospel is for is right at the heart of who we are. Matthew 9.13, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Um, Joe's been helpfully emphasizing that the gospel is for the outsiders, not the insiders, that we, not that we would use that language particularly, the broken, the poor, the lost, the spiritually weak and sick. They're the ones we go to. They're the ones we find our reward in serving and expressing love to. And it's one of the reasons why things that we, like we do through Revive in town or Speed Crawley here, some of the serving we do through ministries like Jungle Tots or our work with older people, that's why they are so rewarding and so fruitful because they are kingdom ministries that God loves to open up. It's where the message of the gospel really comes alive. It's where his love does begin to abound and his power is poured out. It's where the spiritual gifts that we learn to use in here really do kick in, uh, where the power for healing really does flow when we get to do the stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled. We prayed at the start of this teaching series that, that we would see an increase in a measurable, a discernible increase in healing miracles here amongst us in the church. I've got a list of 17 that I'm aware of since the start of February, just in this little local church. Uh, that's amazing um, over the last uh, three or four months. But I do genuinely believe that I think when we take the message of the kingdom in, into its outside context, we see an exponential increase because that's what the gifts and the power were intended for. So we've got loads to learn as Joe's been helping us as, as uh, insiders going out. Um, but two things will help us. One is we've already touched on when I was up on my feet earlier. Hear the call, be obedient, do the stuff. That's number one. But number two, as Joe's been encouraging us to be friends of sinners. Let me finish with this and we'll pray and commission together. Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, I've been, I've been looking at it in amazement again this week. Jesus had a real reputation as a friend of sinners. And we think it's a nice title, but it was an insult that was thrown at him by the religious. Um, it, it's been interesting, um, and it is interesting, listening and asking questions and going online and watching the news and seeing what ordinary people that you live with and work with and that are in our streets and our workplaces and schools and colleges think about the church, the evangelical church today. I think the religious church today has the very opposite reputation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, friend of sinners, religious church, haters and judges of sinners. Something has gone wrong there somewhere, church, hasn't it? That, that we, should, we, we call ourselves the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about we, uniquely us, uh, but the church in general, and we've all played our part in it. We, we say we're his church, and, and yet we seem to carry, in the world's eyes at least, and we know they're deceived and blinded and all of that, but, but how does it happen that we should have such an opposite reputation of the one that our Lord and Saviour Jesus had? And the only way it can change is for people like you and me and Joe not to slink back into the hedge as we saw uh, in that image on the screen, but for us to begin to look and sound like Jesus rather than like the religious that the world expects to hear from us, to live and speak and act like him in a world that thinks already that we are ready to judge them and hate them for their sin. Those words Joe spoke, I think, are very, very important. We're learning something about that. 
And what we're beginning to understand is that Jesus spoke the same gospel, but, but seemed to use two very different approaches with the insiders and the outsiders. To the religious insider, you read through the gospels, Jesus didn't hold back. He spoke strong words. He was William Booth-like. He called them to repentance. He called them to leave their hypocrisy. He called them to avoid judgment, to turn wholeheartedly to God. I think for a long time, we've used that message with the outsiders, the lost, the broken, the weary. We've battered them with the language that Jesus used to those that were already supposed to believe and be following God. To the outsider, the sinner, Jesus used a very different voice. To the crowds, to those that were around tables with him at mealtimes, the parties he was at, the people who clamoured to get near him. They weren't being judged by a religious leader who told them to repent. They were being welcomed and accepted and drawn into his compassion and love. Let me read you briefly from, uh, I think, probably the most important book I've read this year, Preston Sprinkle, can only be American, um, People to be Loved, as it's a book about, uh, about um, serving uh, the LGBT plus community. But I think this is true for us in any extent. Just stay with this and then we'll pray together. He says, I've been shocked recently at Jesus' radical love towards the marginalized and the outcast. Sure, I've always known that Jesus reached out to tax collectors, sinners, widows, and poor people. But until recently, I hadn't appreciated the scandal of how Jesus reached out to them. Jesus rarely started a relationship with the law, and he never offered his stance on political issues. He usually began the relationship with love and always showed acceptance, especially with those rejected by the religious elite. Immediately after Jesus preaches the most rigorous ethical sermon of all time, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, to he heads off to meet people in the surrounding villages, Matthew 8 and 9. His approach in relating to these people is astonishing. Matthew 8, Jesus meets a military leader of an oppressive empire, a centurion. The Romans had conquered Israel a hundred years earlier. Now the foreign invaders were ruling over the Jewish people. Righteous Jews had tried to oust these pagans violently from their land and did so with much religious zeal. Many Old Testament leaders fought off and killed their heathen oppressors and were chalked up as heroes of the faith. So when the Roman centurion steps up to the Jewish Messiah, everyone expects a righteous rumble. But they're quickly let down, although Jesus could have destroyed his enemy and would have been just in doing so. He chooses rather to conquer the centurion with love. When the centurion asks Jesus to heal his servant, Jesus responds not with a sword, but with grace. There's that word again. Shall I come and heal him? The centurion responds with great faith, and Jesus gladly welcomes him into the kingdom. No doubt the religious were stunned. The Roman military was known for its debauchery, paganism, oppressive violence. Some say centurions acted as virtual pagan priests, conducting religious ceremonies to Roman gods. Historically speaking, the centurion would have been a walking pile of sin, and yet Jesus never mentions any of it. Although Jesus takes a firm stance against violence in Matthew 5, he doesn't tell the centurion, well, okay, I'll go ahead and heal your servant, but I must tell you first where I stand on the issue of violence. Or, well, we can be friends and everything, but if you want to be a Christian, you'll have to drop your pagan practices, change your vocation before you can be my disciple. Get this, church. Jesus doesn't lead with the law. He leads with love, love without footnotes. Sure, Jesus was against paganism. He's against violence. He's against many other habits in the centurion's life, but he doesn't feel the need to create a thick wall of moral conditions for the centurion to leap over in order to receive love. Jesus' love comes without a background check. Next weekend, we get to put that stuff that we're learning into practice. We get, as insiders, to go amongst the outsiders. We get to choose 
to decide which kind of voice we're going to use with the gospel, which kind of reputation we are going to make and reinforce for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we've already decided, actually, is it going to be the loving, welcoming, compassionate one he made for himself? And so we risk scandalizing the religious. Or is it going to be the judgmental, hoop-jumping, clean yourself up first before you can come inside reputation of the religious, but in doing so we risk scandalizing the very heart of the gospel? We've decided, I think, already, uh, and we know that already. We lead on love, not the law. If you're, please don't hear what we're not saying this morning. Sin really matters. It's really important. We, we've come to follow a saviour who's died to save us from our sin. Sin will get addressed. It won't get swept away under the carpet. But we lead on love. As we pray this morning and go out from here, I think the, the Luke 15 story that we love of the prodigal son, the sinful son returning to his loving father, that shows us our orientation as this father runs towards his filthy sinner son and sweeps him off his feet and embraces him and covers him in kisses, even before the son has managed to get any words of repentance out of his mouth at all. This is our orientation with the lost and the sinner and the outsider and the broken. We leave the law at home and we lead on love. R.C. Sproul, the American theologian, says, we are all recovering Pharisees. We must get over our tendency to frown upon others' sins. As Jesus would say, let's get the logs out of our own eyes. Let's repent. Let's, unf let's follow this unstoppable Jesus of the Gospels. Let's lead on love and leave the law. Can we stand, please, before we go? Lord Jesus... Why don't we lift our hands to God just as a, a, an act of submission to him if you're a Jesus follower this morning. Lord, we repent. I repent. Lord, where I've held judgments in my heart, where I've formed a religious view about people's lives that I live around or that I'm seeking to reach. Lord, where I've even thought they're too far, too broken, too damaged, too entrenched in their sinful lives. Lord, where I've even felt uncomfortable because I, I, I feel wow, as, as a Jesus follower, I, I don't want to be around those people. Oh God, we, we repent this morning of, of at times living the opposite to how you were, friend of sinners. Would you please change our hearts? Lord, we're not here to pray that you change the hearts of the town this morning. We're here to pray, would you change our hearts, please? Lord, we, we, we choose to say no to dead religion and we say yes instead to the Jesus of the Gospels. And God, we lift up to you every uh, stumbling block that Joe's preached on this morning. We give you our fear. We give you that sense of inadequacy. Thank you for that prophetic encouragement that came in our worship time. Can anything good come out of us? Oh God, we, we dare to say yes, please, Lord, in your name, in your strength. Lord, help us where we have a fear that we might say the wrong thing. Lord, where we've allowed fear of rejection to cause us to remain silent. Where we've carried some kind of shame about the gospel or lacked compassion for those who are lost. Oh, oh God, even this morning, by your spirit, would you help us to take on that that new identity as happy sons and daughters that are prepared to live boldly and joyfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, we uh, worship you this morning. Lord, we thank you that we're works in progress. We thank you that we are under your grace and being transformed by your grace. We, we receive your power from on high. Lord, may we know a new courage, a new boldness as you fill us with your spirit. May we uh, demonstrate and carry the most amazing, boundless love out to the world. May we have a happy, generous joy. Uh, may we have real freedom with the gospel. 
Oh God, even before then with our friendships, our family members, in our workplace, in our schools and colleges, as well as the strangers that we meet on the, on the, on the streets. Lord Jesus, we have heard the call. Please would you shape our hearts in this way in order that we might carry your life and hope. In Jesus' name we agree together. Amen.